Buenas tardes in the sunny daylight savings time. <laughs> and uh, welcome to Latin XYZ, where we discuss all the good, the bad, and the ugly of US politics from a Latino, Latina, and Latinx perspective. My name is Clemencia Herrera, and I am the founder of Moira Studio, an advertising agency that works with the Latinx community to promote political and advocacy campaigns. Again, hola, Clemencia. And I'm Cecilia Del Cid, environmental and social justice practitioner, Latin American, immigrant from Guatemala, community weaver, also working on media. So we are on our third part of the Women's History Month series, and we've already heard from two amazing Latinas that are in office. So they went through it, and the challenges they faced to get to where they are, which were not few. Um, and so to put this all into context and to prove that their experience is not anecdotal or isolated, um, and sort of to address some of the comments that we've been hearing on social media, um, we have someone very special here who is bringing us yes. the facts. In a way, you could say that we brought the big fact guns. <laughs> 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 because today we're very, very, very excited to have Amanda Hunter, Executive Director of the Barbara Lee Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. Um, so Amanda leads the foundation's nonpartisan efforts to advance women's political equality and increase women's representation in politics. Yes! <laughs> and Amanda has covered the foundation's research on the role of gender in politics on PBS NewsHour, NPR, CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Vox, The Los Angeles Times, Political, and Latinx YC Podcast. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Um, previously, Amanda served as Director of Marketing and Communications at the Phillips Collection in Washington, D.C., America's first Museum of Modern Art, and as a Senior Press Representative at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, so I'll just dive right in. Um, so. I, I, I met Amanda at a presentation that she was um, uh, giving on a report on the challenges of women running for executive office. And as, I, she, as she was going through the report, I went through all of the emotions. I was frustrated. I was angry. Um, but I was also glad that these things were brought into light. Um, and hopeful because sometimes it feels out there that we're being gaslighted like we're you know we're crazy on feeling the things that we're feeling and to see it as data you know in, in just numbers it really puts it into a context of like no we're not crazy this is actually happening and it's a and it's a problem so um you know with all that i'd love to dive a little bit deeper into the report and um i'll hand it off to amanda yes. well thank you so much and 
When we started doing this research in the late 90s, we were just sort of chatting about this while we were setting up. It was very important to my boss, Barbara, to put the resources in to really look at voter opinion around women in politics. And she knew that women face additional barriers when they seek executive office like mayor and like governor. And at first, some people sort of doubted that these are proven biases that people have. They said things like, oh, that's outdated. Those things don't happen anymore. And so it is certainly very helpful that most of the studies that we do are a mix of qualitative and quantitative research. So we do focus groups all over the country and then we do a survey. And so we're really able to dig into what voters think. And as I'm sure you've both seen, sometimes voters don't even know that they have bias mm -hmm. until they start talking and then you hear it come out in different ways. So it's very important to my boss, Barbara, not just to identify the obstacles because that's discouraging, but to give women candidates actionable tips to overcome some of those barriers because until we can get more women and women of color elected and change the system by having more voices at the table, we have to work within the existing system, even if sometimes it is very discouraging. Yes, and that's what I loved about the report too, because it said, you know, it had parallels, like these are the biases and issues, and these are the ways that messaging can be adapted to remedy that. Some of this solutions messaging was also frustrating to me. <laughs> But, you know, it is a start and it's a, it's a way that we can maybe like wiggle ourselves into, you know, conversations that we need to be into. So thank you Absolutely. for all the work. Oh, thank you. And, and this won't surprise either of you or any women of color who are listening, but what we found repeatedly throughout our work, and we've been doing this for more than 20 years, is that gender isn't the only factor that impacts voters' views on women running for office. The norm in politics in the United States for decades has been straight, white, and male. And as each of these characteristics start to change, obstacles to election can become more numerous. And in our last study, we asked voters to picture a governor and a majority still pictured a man. It's something that we call the imagination barrier. Some voters just haven't seen women in certain roles and can't imagine it. The good news is as we see more women running for office and serving in office, it breaks down that barrier in voters' minds. And what I really like to think about is the next generation that is never going to remember a time that there weren't more women and more people of color in politics front and center and are going to have completely different attitudes when they get to the voting booth. Yeah, that's, I, I, I dream of that day because <laughs> it, it really feels like, you know, this generation is, you know, the past generation, this one is being like trailblazers, you know, we're definitely there's the first woman to do this is the first woman to do that. There's a lot of firsts, at least in my lifetime, um, that very proud of, but obviously also, man. It's 2022. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know if you have any sort of top lines that, you know, uh, maybe we can deep, uh, we can do some yeah. deep diving into, into from the report. 
Yeah, I'll just tell you that what what we had um, talked about initially when I gave you a presentation was sort of our greatest hits. And a lot of these are themes that come up throughout our research and throughout our work. We have something that we call our essential guide on our website that anybody can go and read and download. And that really is a deep dive into all of this research that looks at executive office. What we find again and again is that the higher standards that voters have for women and especially women of color tend to be around two things in particular, qualifications and likability. Men running for office can really just release their resume and people take for granted that they're qualified. I'm sure that you've all seen that before. But for women, women have to work twice as hard to prove that they have the right accomplishments and even more so when they're seeking executive office. So for a Latina running for office, she will likely have to prove to voters over and over again, not only did I hold this position, but here's what I accomplished in this position and here's what makes me qualified to run for this office where men can just say, I held this position and people think, great, he's probably qualified. So women really face that additional burden in proving that they're qualified. And then the other piece is likability. Voters say, and this we've seen this for many years, that they will not vote for a woman if they don't like her, even if they believe that she's qualified. But the same is not true for a man. And how many times have you heard people say things like, oh, he's kind of a jerk, but he can get the job done. And some men who are celebrated for maybe being a little rough around the edges or grumpy have much more leverage from voters to act that way than a woman. I'm sure that we've all heard women described as all kinds of things that men are not. And so many ways women are rock walking a tightrope around likability because voters have a very I'll know it when I see it kind of attitude. They want women to dress well but not too fancy to use humor, mm. but not too much humor, to take credit, but to also share credit. And that can be, frankly, exhausting sometimes mm. to navigate for women when men can just go out there and kind of say whatever they want and not worry about their hair, their outfits, their tone of voice, their shoes, all of those other things. Yeah, or, or you can, you know, people want you to be strong and sort of commanding, but you also can be bossy or too opinionated or or hysterical if you, you know, if you kind of use, you know, your tone of voice to kind of be forceful. It's like, it is exhausting. It's, but it's, it's not, it's not just exhausting for, you know, women running for office, but obviously, you know, when you're running for office, you are on the spotlight and people are sort of just dissecting and analyzing every single one of your moves so it's it's even more exhausting i'm sure because you're you're on the spotlight all the time you need to keep walking this tight rope of i don't know if i'm doing this right or are people reacting the right way and and these are things that that we discuss you know with our clients in many meetings and and that's why it's a little frustrating to me <laughs> um but but uh you know i i guess i mean my question is like will this will this change are we you know how long are we gonna have to keep walking these tight ropes 
Well, I think until more women are elected to office and until there's really more representation at all levels, because as we've seen and as you were saying, it's exciting when there's a barrier breaker, when you say, oh, look, it's the first woman to serve in this position. Isn't that great? But then what we notice is, unfortunately, people will turn around and start criticizing that woman because the way that she looks in the job is different from everybody else who has come before her. And we're seeing that right now with our vice president, for example. And for a lot of women, there's no roadmap when they take a position, which in one way is very exciting, but they can't just throw on a suit like a man, kind of wear the same kind of thing. So for example, women's clothes are scrutinized because they look different than what people kind of see as a stereotype in politics. And what we've seen as successful in terms of clothing, I think, are women who sort of find a uniform that works for them. I think of our hometown Senator Warren, who always wears variations of the same couple of outfits or our vice president, who always wears similar cut suits for the most part in different colors, but wears a lot of blue or a lot of gray. And so they sort of stick to what works. And what we found in our research is that while voters want women to look neat and put together and have tailored clothing and be professional, they also don't want to be distracted by their outfits. If you've heard the saying, dress well and remember the woman, dress poorly and remember the dress, that's what mm-hmm. women are up against. They have to kind of wear something tailored and, and appropriate, but not something that's going to be too distracting that's going to become the story. Again, type ropes, right? <laughs> <laughs> This is a very tiny edge that we're, we need to walk on. Um, It's true think- because you think people want women to look neat and put together, but then if a woman looks too groomed, then they start to think, is she really doing her job? How does she have so much time to be getting her nails done? And why does she look so perfect? So it is very much a tightrope. What we have found, though, is that authenticity really resonates with voters. And I think that's been a big opportunity for women, especially in the last five years, that women are running for office and showing up as their authentic selves. And I think at the end of the day, that resonates more with voters than trying to fit into some kind of a box if that's not who someone really is. Mm. Um, Amanda, do you think that there is a difference between how male or female voters have these perceptions? I wonder if we as women continue do the same thing to women. Do we give a little more? Because as I hear you talk, what runs through my mind is like, How does a person dressing has anything to do with their mental capacity, ability? I know, you know, if I think of just academia, I've seen some of the great, brilliant minds working, walking through campuses in like very disheveled. Like you would be like, this person has this, like, if you were just going to be by stereotypes and it can be a very important inventor, professor, like someone like, and And I noticed it also in academia with female professors, obviously, but like, I, it's, that is kind of, if I think of just systems of, you know, of oppression or systems of superiority, like this is this idea that we have to, women, we women have to demonstrate what you said, work twice as hard, like, how does what I choose to wear, like me having a bad sense of fashion does not limit what I have in knowledge and expertise, like, Some people are just bad at fashion. 
Yes. So look at Bernie Sanders <laughs> yes. at inauguration. I mean, that became a meme with his big mittens. I don't think a woman would be celebrated for having the same kind of nutty professor aesthetic, if you will, that mm. Bernie Sanders is really celebrated for. And there are a lot of examples of that. I think because my boss always likes to find the positive in situations. So I do think the positive that we can all kind of look to for hope are especially all of the women that have been elected to Congress over the past couple of cycles who have been showing up as their authentic selves. When you think about here in Massachusetts, our Congresswoman Catherine Clark wrote an article about how she was criticized when she stopped dyeing her hair. But she just said, you know what? I don't want to dye my hair anymore. It takes too much time. I don't care. And then, of course, our other Congresswoman, Ayanna Presley, was very open about her struggles with alopecia and her choice to show up authentically there. So I think that there is movement on that front in defying those stereotypes. And then, of course, AOC, who's just a powerhouse on so many fronts and really, I think, probably uses social media more effectively than any member of Congress, really helped engage a lot of different voters talking about things like her lipstick and her fashion choices and not running away from leaning into her own personal style. And there were all these women's magazines that wrote about her. And I think it was very helpful to her during her campaign. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, for example, if you're running uh, for Congress in a district that's like sort of rural, like if you come in like a pantsuit, I, I, you know, as much as you want to, you know, appeal to like, you know, the, you know, you have to have good presence. It's it's hard to appeal to you know a rural audience you know in in something that nobody wears. So it's like there's this there's this fine line of like okay how do I show up authentically but also um, in a way that people trust me because I it, I think it's just a matter of trust right? How do you build trust as a woman among everyone and. Um, and it's not just like with women because, oh, women may love, you know, your makeup or women may love your style. Like, you know, like the English royal family that, you know, Kate Middleton f- buys something and all the women <laughs> buy it, you know, that kind of thing. You know, they may love your style, but also like, are they trust, you know, do they trust you? Like, would they trust Kate Middleton to make decisions for them? Well, that's such an interesting question. And I will say um, back to the other question too, what we find in our focus groups is that women are just as hard on women as men are in a lot of ways. And women have a lot of internalized misogyny, unfortunately. Some don't even realize it and until they start talking. One, I think high point is that women do realize that having other women elected is powerful and that tends to trend higher with democratic women and women of color they do realize the value of representation but then when you start getting down to brass tacks it's weird clementia because you'd think oh if someone shows up and they look overdressed people are going to judge her yes they probably will but there's a weird fine line of people thinking that the woman should sort of look like she's better than them because she has to be more qualified. She has to be likable. So they don't want someone that looks just like them because why would that person be qualified? 
But then they also don't want to project that the woman thinks that she's better than them. So it's this fine line of she looks nice. She's in tailored clothing. We did some research on losing an election a couple of years ago and in it found that voters reacted very negatively to a woman teaching at a college or university because they projected that that woman must think that she's better than them if she's a college professor. This isn't even a real person (laughs) that we were talking about, but that's how deep that can run sometimes. So I'd like to take the, you know, the last five minutes of, of this episode to sort of like talk about you know, because we're always trying to, you know, kind of throw back the some of the accountability to the people and mm-hmm. say, what can people do to sort of check their biases, you know, when they are when when they're dealing with a woman candidate, um, you know, just to like say, hey, am I being biased? Like how? Like, what are the things that people can sort of think of just to say, like a little quick questionnaire, self-questionnaire, self, self-check to say, am I, am I being ju- too judgmental? What do you guys I think? I love this question. I think the first question is, would I say this about a man? Because a lot of the things, thinking about clothing, would I say this if Bernie Sanders showed up in kind of a disheveled outfit with mittens on? Would I have the same criticism for him? I was talking to a man after one of the presidential primary debates and he told me that he thought that, I think it was Senator Klobuchar, quote, had a meltdown on stage. And I said, had a meltdown? I didn't, I didn't see any meltdown. Tell me more about that. And it was because she didn't sort of shake someone's hand afterwards and chat with them. And I said, would you say the same thing if Mike Bloomberg had done that? Would you say that he had had a meltdown? And you could just see the guy's face change because of course he would have a different standard for Mike Bloomberg than he would for Senator Klobuchar. So I think it's helpful to first ask, would I say this about a man? Would I say this about pick a a man in politics? And then also would I say this about a white person if it's a person of color that they're talking about because we know that with voters women of color have different permission structures with some voters and the way that they express themselves so i think it's important to also ask those questions mm. yeah yeah it's, it's, it's um Sorry, let's just see. You were going to no, say just, something. No, I was going to say, like, that's really helpful. And I think you are getting at some of, like, those, you know, what I think my original thought was, like, what are the, the systems of oppression that continue to frame how we think about politics, that continue to frame who belongs in politics? And at the same mm-hmm. time, what are the lived consequences of having people in those positions that have no idea of what the lived experiences of their constituents are? and therefore cannot advocate or fairly representate those those communities. But we yeah. as a community continue to do not recognize those characteristics in members of that 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 have some of those identities that you know yeah. that have been oppressed. I mean so we we've talked about this before in this podcast how many Latinos don't trust other Latinos. They think that they're corrupt or they think they are unqualified. And so you add to that 
gender and then it's like it's it's the most hard rocky impossible road that you could ever imagine it's like it you, you know it it it's it multiplies and so it's a uh, it's really interesting to hear from data and, and, and also just like the way that you guys collected the data in which it wasn't just like people's opinion, you know, what or, or like women's opinion, you know, you were actually, you know, measuring how people felt about, you know, governors or, you know, what they what they pictured. And um, council member Esmeralda in the last episode, she said something very interesting, which she said, you can't be what you can't see. And, um, and and that was just such a in, interesting and, and to the point that, that you made about, you know, if women can't picture themselves in these positions of power, they're going to eternally judge. We're going to eternally judge ourselves. And until we actually see that there's different faces and styles of clothing and haircuts and whatever, in in places of power and they're doing an amazing job then we you know this judgment may start to come down and and and, and just say yeah she might be a little bit of a jerk but she gets the job done <laughs> yeah and i think also we found uh just just really quickly before we wrap with with people of color and with women and with different groups that have tend to have less representation in politics. Sometimes voters will think she's a great candidate, but I don't think other people will elect her. She's not electable. And so it's very important for us to do our electability research to show people women are electable, women of color are electable. And if everybody just got behind the candidates that really excited them, these candidates could win instead of being afraid and going with the status quo candidate, the safe candidate. Yeah. Yes, let's stop being followers. <laughs> wow. um, well, thank you so much, Amanda. This was really, really interesting. And if you'd like to know more um, and download some of these really, really interesting reports that uh, they research on, you can go to barbaraleefoundation.org. They have free reports for you to download. Um, I've gone through a, a lot of rabbit holes that I, you know, they're really interesting and in the, the way that they show the reports is very easy to read and, um, and, and very digestible. So I highly recommend it. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, hit us up on social media at linenxyz.pod. And <laughs> Latinx was Pan. I've been talking so, so much already. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much, um, everyone, for listening. If you like us, give us a rating, tell your friends, and uh, write to us. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Bye. Bye.